0: All right. Well, good morning, church. How's everybody doing? You guys ready? I'm ready. Uh, Here we are. We are uh, continuing on in our series, Back to Basics, where we are covering uh, some core doctrines, some core beliefs, and teachings and practices uh, of our faith. And we have covered a lot of that thus far, and we are going to cover even more today. So I hope you are ready. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I had the privilege, the honor, the blessing, uh, if you will, of being able to share a little bit with you about the doctrine of the Trinity. One God, three distinct persons. God the Father, who initiates all divine action. God the Son, who accomplishes what the Father set in motion. And God the Spirit, who applies the work of Jesus Christ in our lives and assures us of our salvation. That salvation is what we're gonna spend some time talking about this morning the miracle of regeneration, delighting in God's salvation. Now, if you thought the Trinity in 30 minutes was a challenge, (laughs) you should have seen me trying to whittle this one down yesterday. Uh, If the Trinity is the who, salvation, I would argue, is the why. Right? We're trying to explain why all this exists. Now, fair warning, I am going to make no promises about time. I shared this first service. I did all right. We went a little long, but it wasn't too bad, so buckle up. Here we go. And, and here's what I want to share with you this morning, why this is important, okay? No matter where you are this morning, I think this is a relevant message for you. Some folks are hearing this for the first time, and the things that we're about to share and the things we're about to talk to, and, and it's the very first time they're hearing it. Some folks listening right now or maybe in the future or online or sitting in the room, whatever it may be, you have a distorted view of salvation. The reality is we live in a broken world, right? And we're trying to comprehend something that is beyond ourselves. And and so we may need to refocus and be reshaped a little bit here. While others simply need to be reminded of the beautiful gift and all that goes into it. So no matter where you are, In that spectrum whether you're watching it today or you're watching it weeks from now it doesn't matter to me this message is for you so with everything i'm going to share this morning if there's anything you walk away from remembering i pray it be this that you don't have to be fixed to be found you are found so that you can be fixed all right just let that one sink in for a second you don't have to be fixed to be found you are found so that you can be fixed. We live in a culture, in a world that tells us the exact opposite of that statement. We live up here, right? that we have to have it all figured out before we take the next step, that we gotta have to have our finances in order before we make the investment, that we need to get in shape before we try out for the team, that we have to uh, you know, know the song and have it all figured out before we audition for the worship team or, or try to do that. Whatever it may be, we live in a culture that tells us we need to prove ourselves worthy prior to us taking a shot. But thankfully, that is not how salvation works. That's not how God works. I have here a piece of glass from a picture frame that I may or may not have stolen this morning. There's a picture in our house that doesn't have it, but here's the thing, it's glass, right? It's broken. Oh, Didn't see that coming. Um, yeah, I was gonna do it without the bag. Um, but here we have a, a glass in, in lots of little pieces, right? And, and guess what? No matter how long I leave that there, no matter how much I may shake that bag up, guess what ain't gonna happen? It's not going to fix itself. Right? And praise Jesus, that is not how God works. Because I don't know about you, but like that glass, I can't fix myself either. I just can't. What's inherently broken does not have the ability to fix itself. What is inherently broken? Me. You. We are inherently broken. And therefore, we do not have the ability to fix ourselves. We don't have to be made right the way culture tells us to have a relationship with God, but rather, we enter into a relationship with God so that we can be made right. Man, we need to hold on to that truth this morning. You do not have to be fixed to be found. You have to be found so that you can be fixed. Can I get an amen? All right, so let's hold on to that truth this morning. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8. That is in page 941. So I want to invite you to turn with me there. Page 941 in the Bibles in your seats. Uh, Two things, as always, if you do not have a Bible or someone you know does not have a Bible and you want to gift this to them, uh, this is our gift. We want to give it to you. Uh, Take it with you. Write a note in it. Share it with them. We pray that God's word does just an amazing work in their lives. And so that's that. Number two, the book of Romans. Romans. The book of Romans. I could say a lot here. But here's the thing. This is a letter not written conventionally, but a letter written by Paul to the church in Rome. And I think there is something special about this writing. And, And what is that is this, is that Paul himself was a Roman citizen. All right, important to know. Paul was a Roman citizen. He was also a Jew, but he had a dual citizenship, if you will. And in some ways, I imagine as Paul is speaking, Right? This was something that he would have spoken and a scribe would have written down. He cannot help but be reminded himself of the truths that he is sharing with a community that he cares so deeply for. Right, He, he is sharing something that is valuable. And, and why he's saying these things, I can't help but think he's reminding himself of it. Picture this. You're with a, a close friend or someone you care about, right? And they're going through a difficult season of their life. What do we do? we wrap their arm around, our arms around them, right? And, and sometimes we try to comfort them and we, we share some words of wisdom or some insight. And as we do, have you ever noticed that often what you share is just as much for you as the person you're sharing it with? Right? This happens to me all the time. I'm like, I know exactly what you need. I mean, I'm arrogant in that sometimes, right? But like, I know exactly what you need. And you're like, duh, Frank, that's what you needed to hear. Right? like I needed to be reminded of this as well, and I cannot help but think that's what's going on in Paul as he's sharing these words. To me, that is the tone that I pick up on as I read through the book of Romans. So with that, I want to invite you to stand with me this morning, and uh, as we've been doing the last few weeks, we're going to read God's word. Uh, let's read it together. I, I, I read it for us first service. We're not going to do the whole chapter 8, don't worry, just uh, verses 29 and 30. So take a second and kind of thumb through that and find it. It'll also be on the screen. Something about holding God's word, though, right? Yeah. Here we go. Romans 8, 29 and 30. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come down to him, and having called them he gave them right standing with himself, and having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we we dive into your word, as we, we acknowledge you as a creator over our lives and us as creation, we just pray that you would give us ears that are open and ready to listen, that you would give us eyes that are ready to see the things that are are unseen, that you would open our hearts. Oh, that you would open our hearts, that we'd be receptive to you and what your spirit is doing in us and among us this morning. We ask for your blessing on this time, and we ask for your blessing on not our church, but your church. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Anyone here ever been on the receiving end of an amazing gift? Yeah, it's awesome, isn't it? Right, like I'm not talking about like a gift, I'm talking about an amazing gift. Tremendous, spectacular, splendiferous, I don't know, like like incredible, right, life-changing, the kind of gift that blows you away. Did you ever stop to actually think about why or what made it so amazing? Right? Like, so we just kind of receive it and we're like, oh, that's nice, that's awesome, cool, and we keep going. But here's the thing. If you actually take time to stop and think about it, you'll see that there is a lot that goes in to the perfect gift. Now, I don't wanna to get too sidetracked here, however, I truly believe that if you stay with me in this, it's gonna make a whole lot of sense as we start to think about salvation, okay? There are some people I know that are ridiculously good gift givers right? Like it's a gift that they have. I can't say gift enough. It's a gift that they have to give gifts to others that they may receive. I don't know. Uh, it's, it's incredible. But you know what I found to be in common with all these people? They're ridiculously intentional, right? But what are they doing? They're planning, carefully planning. And in planning, how do they do that? They listen. They listen. Their eyes are seeking opportunities. They're paying attention. They're knowing things about the person they're getting a gift for, the person they're giving a gift to, they're caring for that person, right? And, and, and so when we think about this, we realize that it's not random at all. There's a lot of thought and intentionality that goes into the selection process of the perfect gift. Now here's the thing, these are not gift card people, okay? If you are a gift card, per, a gift card person who stops at Dunkin' or Target on the way to the birthday party, I'm not talking about you. Now here, don't be offended, Sometimes we need that, all right? I need Dunkin' gift cards, I do, oh I do. And Starbucks, all right? But here's the thing, God bless you, awesome, keep up. But that's not what I'm talking about. There is this timing, if you will, in the gift, right? Like there's something about it that's just right. They all, the gift is always presented in just the right moment so that it has just the right impact. The wrapping is always impeccable. Maybe not always, but in my illustration, I like to think of it that way because I like to rap, all right? Uh, there, there's, the, there's the opening of the gift, right? Think about that for a second. People that are really good gift givers, you know what they find joy in? Watching you receive the gift, right? W- sitting there watching you open it. There's nothing worse for a good gift giver to give the gift and then, like, have it sit on a table and be like, all right, party's over. Like, whoa, time out. <laughs> time out. I got that for you. I've been planning that one for months. Open the gift right? And so that's something that I think is important to acknowledge, like that they love, they seek joy, they find delight in watching you open and receive. And then, oh, there's the gift itself, right? This is all leading up to the gift, But then there's the gift itself, right? The applicability of the gift, the practicality, how it meets a need, how it's useful, how it serves a purpose. Now think about this, I just set the bar pretty darn high for gifts, didn't I? (laughs) Praise Jesus, I didn't preach last week before Valentine's Day. Can I get an amen, husbands? Right, praise (laughs) Jesus that I did not give this illustration last week. There would have been a lot of disappointment uh, come Friday afternoon. But in all seriousness, in many ways, in many ways, this is how I see salvation. We have have a tendency to want to oversimplify it. It is a gift. Make no mistake. But yet it is so complex. There's so much that goes into it. And if we're not careful... In our oversimplification, in an attempt to make the gospel easy to understand, we can miss the beauty and the awe in that complexity. Salvation, oh so simple, but yet beautifully complex at the same time. So what exactly is this gift of salvation? The Greek word for salvation, and I am certainly not a Greek scholar, but it's soteria. It means rescue. So delighting in God's salvation would mean delighting in God's rescue. To take delight in God's rescue, not of himself, but of who? The object of his affection. It is God delivering us. He rescues us out of the destruction of not his doing, but our own doing and into his safety. God rescues us out of our own destruction the mess that we caused, the mess that we made, and brings us into his safety. Now, like a gift, there are many parts to that salvation. And these parts or these steps are called the order of salvation, something we don't think about a lot. We think of salvation as simply this. It's just a gift. But there's a lot that goes into this, as we see, right? There's a lot of steps here. Now, there are specifically nine steps, right? So some of you were thinking, Frank, you've already been talking for a little while and you got nine steps to go through. You are right, I do. And, and so get ready, here we go, we're gonna hit all of them. Some I'm gonna go through a little more quicker than others, but I don't want you to miss this, okay? We're not gonna break this up into multiple sermons, although sometime I think we should. It is important for you to hear this right now. So there are a lot of people who think salvation is transactional in nature, and then there are some who think it's transformational in nature. If you were to ask me what I think, I would say yes. All right, when we look at the order of salvation, we see that some of these steps are instantaneous, some are sequential, some take time, while others we spend the remainder of our earthly lives living within this context. Some transactional, yes. Transformational, yes. Is it one or the other? Yes. So with that, let's actually try to understand it a little. Romans 8:29, the first part says this. For God knew his people in what? In advance. In advance, what does this mean? Point number one, election. Wow, if you thought it got heavy, here it is, right? Election. Before creation, we were loved and we were chosen by God. Now, this has potential for tremendous controversy as there are two pretty distinct camps when it comes to this idea of election. Okay? Both held by extremely thoughtful, intentional, prayerful, godly scholars of the Christian faith and its orthodox practices. All right? and, and if we ourselves are not careful, we can get caught up in the trap of trying to decipher this dichotomy. All right, Do we have free choice? Has God already decided for us? <laughs> yeah, right? Yes. <laughs> it's not one or the other per se, but we live in a world that suggests we actually have to choose one or the other. That's what culture tells us. But the Bible, God, is countercultural right? If we lived in the right culture, we wouldn't need a savior. If we weren't broken and shattered in a million pieces, we wouldn't need someone to put it all back together. Culture tells us we need to choose, but we can't choose. And here's what happens if we do choose. On one hand, if if you hold hard to the view that your choices don't matter because God has already decided, doesn't that take away your hope for your future? your thoughts, your beliefs, your actions, your motivations, all of it, it don't matter, right? It doesn't matter anymore. Whatever happens, happens. You're gonna walk around the rest of your life saying, well, it is what, it is. you're gonna be like Eeyore, right? It is what it is. I don't know if he said that. Sounds like him though, right? It is what it is. It is what it is. But on the other hand, what if you hold so hard to the, the view that your decisions, your actions determine your destiny? I don't know about you, but I would be paralyzed in fear. Right? If you were to think that your actions and your choices determine your future, that's heavy. That's heavy. We need to let that one down a little bit. It's not about you, because when we hold on to that view, it makes it about you, doesn't it? But we are not the story. We are simply the object of God's faith. When we hold on to that view, it makes it about us, not about God, when in reality it is about God. It's about what he's done and is doing through us. He's doing for you. So bottom line here, I I took this one from Greg, it was too good not to share. God is 100% in charge and we are 100% responsible. 100% in charge is God, 100% responsible is us. It is a both and, not an either or. Now, I could spend all day, and I've already spent more time than I should have on this one point for right now. Um, However, we're going to just keep going for the sake of time. We good? Here we go. Romans 8.30, the first part A. And having chosen them, all right, election, he called them to come to him. He called you. The next step in the order of salvation is this. There is a calling that takes place in your life. This is when we hear the gospel message and God calls each and every single one of us towards him. This is God drawing us towards him. Our paths by God's divine initiation are crossed with the gospel message in some way. It could be through reading his word. It could be through hearing it preached. It could be through sharing. It could be through the love of a neighbor. It could be you out in creation and experiencing God in a whole new way. I don't know how, but somehow your path will be brought to cross with the gospel message, regardless of where you live and what time in history you are going to encounter the gospel. I don't think anyone ever would deny that we live in a broken world. It doesn't matter where you land on a theological perspective to acknowledge that to be true because we've all experienced it, right? We're not stupid. We we can acknowledge that the world around us is broken and that we ourselves are broken. Why do you think the self-help section is the largest section of the bookstore? Right? You don't have to be a theologian to understand that. In the book of Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, we hear God say this through the prophet, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. Oh man, I've called you by name and you are mine. Called you by name. We think sometimes that God is calling his family. And yes, yes, he is. But you know what? He's calling you. And he's calling you and he's calling you and he's calling me and he's calling you. This is personal. This is not generic. Generic. This is not a greeting. Greetings, church. He's saying, no, 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 no. He's saying, you. I have called you by name. God is 100% in charge. We are 100% responsible. You have been called by name. It is personal. You are called to come to him. And that brings us to the third point in the order of salvation, regeneration. This right here is where God secretly, I love that, and sovereignly imparts through the power of the Holy Spirit, spiritual life into our lives those who have been called by him and who have been called by him you have been called by him paul in his letter in uh, his letter to titus he says this he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness so it's not us all right again Paul's reminding us, it's not about you, it's not about what you do, you can't earn it, but according to his mercy. All right, so he saved us, we had nothing to do with it, it was his mercy. By the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? A few years ago, I was playing basketball with a bunch of guys from church. In fact, we actually had a basketball team. And we were playing one Saturday night, the dead of winter, and uh, it was halftime. And we were going to warm up before the start of the third quarter. One gentleman was getting ready to take a shot, and he just fell to the ground. He dropped. We ran over to him. We wanted to check to see if he was okay, thinking like maybe he just was a little dehydrated or whatever it may be. We thought maybe he passed out. As we got to him and as we knelt by his side, we saw that this man wasn't breathing. We were checking for a pulse. There was none. Frantically, we started CPR, compressing on his chest, praying that God would just do something. One of the members of our team got his phone and called 911. Another member of the team remembered seeing an AED, a defibrillator, in the lobby of the building, so he ran and he got it. When he got back, we were, we were asking the folks on 911, what do we do? They were like, rip his shirt off. So we just ripped his jersey apart. We took those pads and we placed them on his chest where it told us to. And we said, what do we do? They said, you hit the button. Woo. So we prayed and we prayed. We hit the button. And you know what happened? There was this surge of electricity that went through this man's body. And what was lifeless became lifeless no more. What was without hope now had a hope for tomorrow. What was dead was alive. Now there was a long road to go when we found that he had a pulse. Oh, it was faint. His breathing was labored. There were more questions than answers. There was a long road ahead. He was not healed at this point, but rather what happened, he was brought back to life so that he could Continue on in a journey of recovery and re- a journey of becoming who he's created to be. Speaking of health, that is. That is regeneration. That's regeneration. That is what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. It sparks something within us, it brings death to life. It provides hope in hopeless situations. It provides light in the dark of night. It's not the end. It's not the culmination, but rather it's just the beginning. Regeneration. To this point, we haven't done much in the process, have we? No. All right? God elects. God chooses. God calls. God, the power of the Holy Spirit regenerates in our lives, but here we are number four, conversion. This is where we come in a little bit. This is where faith and repentance collide as the result of all these things working together, uh, collection, election, calling, and regeneration. We, in this moment, what are we doing? We are willingly responding to the gospel call on our lives. We are simultaneously repenting from our sin, meaning we are actively turning from it, only by the power of the Holy Spirit alive in us, and we are placing our faith in Jesus Christ alone as our Savior. That's what's taking place here. There is a turning from what was dead to what is alive. There's a turning from what we were in our sin, in our brokenness, to what is what is glorified before us. There is a turning. Right? We are we are physically turning from something in repentance, all the while simultaneously acknowledging it's not about us. We can't fix ourselves in our brokenness. We are placing our faith, our hope, our trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior over our lives. That's conversion. It happens in an instant. It's both instantaneous though, but it's also a continuous transformation, I would argue. Right, the conversion happens in a moment, but our faith in Christ as well as our repentance is something we continually refresh, right? I'm not gonna stand here and lie to you and say that the moment I accepted Christ in my life, I became perfect, no. I jack it up all the time, way too often. So what do I have to do? Every day his mercies are new. I have to turn from where I was and I have to reorient myself back towards God. I have to consistently die to self, die to myself, die to my ways, die to sin, and acknowledge Christ as my Savior. That leads us to justification. Romans 8, 30b and having called them, he gave them right standing with himself, that's justification. The outcome of our conversion, all right, which is the result of the first three, faith plus repentance, is that we are now justified in Christ. We are declared justified in Christ. God, through a legal act, declares that our sins are forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. And as such, we are declared righteous because of not our own doing, but because of his righteousness. The gavel, what does it do? It comes down. Not guilty. But here's the thing we need to remember. We are. We are declared not guilty despite the fact that we are. We have been declared justified through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, there's something important for us to see here, as again, this can be somewhat controversial. Are we made righteous in this moment, or are we declared righteous in this moment? Catholicism, along with some Protestant views, teach that righteousness is infused into our lives, it is steeped within us. And by that, we are made, or we become righteous ourselves. And in so, in that happening, If we do not maintain our righteousness, if we do not maintain our righteousness, we can lose it. We can lose our salvation. Now, contrast made with declared. In the passage in Romans 8, what do we see? We see the phrase, right standing. We've been made in right standing in the translation that we're reading. However, if you were actually to go back and you were to look at the Greek, you would see the word that is there, is, uh, it means justified. Decaio. Decaio. I say it wrong all the time. But it literally translates as declared righteous. When we see the word justified, that's what it means. Declared righteous. The fact that we are declared righteous rather than being made righteous is significant. It means that it's not yours, it's Christ's. And that has substantial implication in our lives. There's been a credit that's been paid to your account. There was a debt that you owed that someone else paid for you, and it can't be unpaid. It's not your righteousness to lose should you not maintain it. So important that we get that. So important that we understand that. But that brings us to the next element of salvation, number six, adoption. So significant, something we need to spend some time on. So we're going to kind of glance over it right now, but we're going to come back to it because I want us to spend a few minutes there. But what that does by skipping over right now is it allows us to look at justification and sanctification together uh, a little bit. Now, whilst justification is the righteousness that is declared over us by God, sanctification is something that develops in us little by little over time by the power of the Holy Spirit. Essentially, less of you, more of God. Right? I don't know if you were here last week, I forgot to grab the slide, but uh, Pastor Greg put up a, a graph, and it was the cross chart he called it, and there was this line, that's our lives, there was this conversion that takes place, and then it went on two different directions. Right? There was the awareness, the growing awareness of God's holiness, and then there was the growing awareness of our brokenness, and what filled that gap was the cross. You see, what happens is, the more we become aware of who God is, and the less of ourselves, the greater the impact, the greater Jesus is, the greater greater the cross is in our lives. While both justification and sanctification are available through faith and grace alone, they are in fact separate. Justification, it has to do with our legal standing, right? Gavel comes down, declared, uh, declared righteous. It happens instantaneously. It's done, one and done. Sanctification, though, has to do with our internal condition. It's internal. It's a process that's taking place over time. I truly believe that our gatherings, our worship services, are one of the greatest means towards sanctification. It is a beautiful combination of doxology and doctrine. We come and we worship God as a creator over our lives, and in doing so, we realize our brokenness, which helps us grow in our desire to know him and learn more about him. And as we do that, what does it do? It causes us to be brought back into this posture of worship. Sunday mornings, this is where doctrine and doxology collide and we become sanctified in Christ. That's why it's so important. That's why we devoted the entire week last week talking about the importance of our gatherings and being the church. Number eight, perseverance. I know I'm going quick. When we become justified, meaning we are declared righteous in God's eyes, we will be kept by God's power and we will persevere as followers of Christ until the end of our lives. Now our confidence resides within us by the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us and he assures us of our salvation. It is our God-given strength, God-given, not ours, that provides us with what we need to face tomorrow. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that is giving you what you need so that you can wake up tomorrow and you can see that there is hope in a new day. It is the strength that he's providing you so that you can continue on in this journey to run the race that's before you. And that perseverance brings us to our last step, glorification. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. The culmination of all of this, the culmination of our salvation. On the final day when we are risen in Christ and we stand before God, our heavenly father, we will become fully free from all our sin in all of our brokenness. We will stand before God as a new creation made whole in Christ Jesus. We were declared justified before, but we are in this moment now made justified. There is no more sin, no more shame, no more brokenness, no more sorrow, none of that. It has all been stripped away. We are made new, and that is good news. To this point, we've only been declared it, but now we are righteous. We become citizens who dwell in the kingdom of heaven. So good. So good. That's glorification. When we become glorified with God. Oh, so beautiful. Now what I want to do with a, with a few minutes that we have left here is I want to go back to adoption. In addition to the, the passage that we were looking at in Romans, we also see the term adoption in the book of Galatians as well as Ephesians. And here's the thing, if you keep in mind the fact that Paul is speaking and that there is someone writing down what he's saying, it makes sense, right, that maybe sometimes a word, you know, you kind of like you say it one way and then you're like, ah, right, like I've probably done that a half dozen times, probably more, just in this moment. But yet for some reason we see this word adopt, show up over and over. It is intentional, it is there on purpose, In Ephesians, Paul writes this, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. The significance of the term adoption here can't be overlooked. I talked about it a little bit at Men's Breakfast, but here here it is. The fact that the term is used in several other places bears with it this huge significance. Why not just say that we are sons or sons and daughters? Why draw us to the phrase of adoption? Now, I want to take a quick side track, uh, t- uh, quick uh, turn, if I can, for a second, and talk about the, the idea of being called sons versus sons and daughters, or daughters, or children. Significant, okay? In our culture, we read that and we think, oh, that's sexist. Well, yeah, it was a pretty sexist culture back then, wasn't it? But that's not what Paul's doing. He's not playing into that at all. No. You know what Paul's doing? Imagine this. I live in the first century. I have 20 girls, no boys. Where does my inheritance go? Not to one of them. There is no inheritance for a daughter. So is Paul devaluing women or is he saying, no, you have immense value? You know what Paul's saying in this moment? He's saying, no, you may not have a birthright here, but you have a birthright by being a child of God, by being a son of God of God. This isn't, this isn't a comment that's meant to devalue women, but rather to raise them up. That's why in Galatians, when he says there's neither male nor female, that's what he's talking about. This is open to all. The inheritance, being an heir to the kingdom of God, is open to everyone, not just boys. No, 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 no. It's for everyone. All right? Important to know that. So you are all sons. Sons. But you've also been Adopted. Why is that significant? Why is the word adoption so significant here? Now, in the first century in the Greco-Roman world, the relationship between a father and a son is very different than that we think of today. Right? I think of when my children were born and I stood in the labor, the labor and delivery room and I remember them handing me my children and just looking into their eyes and loving them and think, man, there is nothing that could ever draw me apart from them. Here's the deal, that's not what it was like in this culture at all. Not even a little bit. The baby would be born, boy or girl, and the wet nurse would care for it for a couple of days, feed it and and love it and and cherish it and clean it up and and swaddle it and and love it, like all these things. And then do you know what would happen a couple of days into it? Provided that the wet nurse saw the baby is being able to be presented to the the father. What would happen here in this moment is the father would be presented the child if it was proven to be healthy enough, presentable enough, with enough promise for a future. And then the father had the, the ability to accept or reject. I want you to think about that for a second. The father of a child could accept or reject this infant. And if the child was rejected, it was simply put out. This happened all the time. So when, when we say that we are his children, that might mean something to us, but back then there was something that they were trying to get to. There was something that they were, Paul was trying to help us understand that when you are adopted, that idea of the option of being accepted or rejected is no more. Right? Like you were chosen. There is no rejection. You can't be turned away. He loves you and he called you by name. Adoption is this legal transaction that takes place. Just like justification, boom, declared righteous. When you are adopted, you cannot be forsaken. No matter what, you are not forsaken. It cannot be undone. And what makes that significant is this, is that God's love for you has nothing to do with what you do. It has nothing to do with what you produce, but rather has everything to do with the fact that you are just you. Doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter what you provide. Doesn't matter what promise you may hold for the future. Uh, the future God loves you, is entering, desiring to enter into relationship with you just because you are you. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You can't lose it. It can't be taken away. You do not have to be fixed to be found. You are found so that you can be fixed, so that you can be made right in Christ. There are two words you have to see here. You are found. He's seeking out after you so that you can be fixed. God is calling on you in this moment, but it's your choice if you're going to respond. You have the opportunity in moments like this, to respond to that call, that you cannot be rejected. You are either accepted, and that's it. There is no either. You are accepted as his children. You are adopted into his family. But it's up to you to respond. Church, it's up to you to respond. I can't do it for you, man. I wish I would, I would do it right now. But I know for some of you, that step accepting this gift you know what? You got to open it. You got to open it. I'd open it right now, but it's, it's just a book, but you, you have to open this gift. It's not about what you do, but rather what Jesus Christ has done for you through the life, death and resurrection. And part of that step church, I'm going to be honest with you, it's being baptized you've been declared justified in faith. But guess what? It's your turn to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior over your life. So if I can be so bold as to ask, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? This is good news. Don't you want that? Don't you want to share in that? The time is right. There is no greater time than this moment. Just as you've been declared righteous, you are called to declare Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior over your life. So I don't know where you are in this moment, but what I know is this. No greater time than right now. The call. The call is there. How will you respond? So I want to encourage you as we close out to to maybe take that next steps card and just Jot down your questions. Check the box, whatever. Pass it in and and we'll follow up with you. Sit and pray with the person that brought you. Come and find me or another pastor or another leader, another volunteer and just ask questions. We so desperately want to help you take your next step. So what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? You have been adopted into the family of God as a son. You are an heir to the kingdom of God. You cannot be rejected. So where does your fear lie? Where is it? You don't have to be fixed to be found. You are found so that you can be fixed.